And welcome back to another episode of the StatCast with your hosts, Harrison Friedman and Sam Greenman. And we've got a special guest on here today to talk about the 2020 MLB postseason, Dan Treacy. Dan, say hello. What's up? How you doing? All right. And so we're excited to talk about baseball playoffs. Uh, we've obviously had a great NBA Finals, too. But we're, we've also had, like, so we pretty much know three of the four LCS teams that are going to happen. We had what I think was sort of several great days of baseball, followed by a few days of absolutely no baseball with the wild card round and then the break while everyone went to their bubbles. So that was a little weird. And we've had just an absolute monster number of home runs in the playoffs so far and not much else, which, I mean, are the balls juiced? Are they not juiced? I don't know. We'll talk about it. But Sam, you excited to get into this? Uh, I'm really excited, especially to talk about the juice balls because... I mean, so many home runs have been hit, specifically in the Astros A series. We'll talk about that, but first, Milo Hamilton. Swinging, lining it to left. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Press back. Howie Toledo. What a way to And welcome back to the Statcast. So, yeah, you've been, have you enjoyed these playoffs so far? I mean, I have, but as a Yankee fan, I'd, I'd like to enjoy them a little more with a win, maybe. I understand um, that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I uh, also I'm I had high hopes for the Padres going in, and and then Lamette got hurt and Clevenger got hurt, and yeah, like, I I thought if one team was going to contend with the Dodgers, which I would like to see, it would have been the Padres, but not with all the injuries. I completely understand. Yeah. I mean, the Padres, what, LeMed and Clevenger have pitched uh, a one bad inning combined, Was is it? I mean, LeMed, like, LeMed faced the Dodgers, like, I don't know, three or four times this year, and he was excellent. Three or four might, yeah. might be too high, but, like, it had to be three, and he was great. I think they won one or two of them. It's a real shame. I don't know. I feel kind of bad, but this Dodgers team is a buzzsaw. I don't know if they're going to lose in these playoffs. Very, very good. Yeah. You need a team with depth to beat them and, you know, or to at least compete with them. I think there are only a couple teams like that, the Rays and maybe the Yankees. The Yankees? Yeah, with depth on the offensive side. The problem is the Dodgers have pitchers get hurt, they replace them with pitchers who are just as good, and the Yankees can't do that. They can do that offensively. They can't find pitchers who can replace uh, guys at the top. Yeah, man. Oh, my God. People are hating on what happened with Davey last night. They should be. Goon got too cute when he didn't need to be. Yeah, Jay, first of all, Jay Happ is the wrong guy to throw in against the Rays at any point, I feel like, or against anyone. I mean, he, he had a decent, I mean, he had a decent year, a pretty a pretty good year, but it was a two-month season, and, you know, he's not getting any younger. For them to expect, like, the early September kind of Happ from this year was pretty unrealistic. His last start was pretty rough, too, so it's not like he even left off with a good impression. Yeah, I don't know. If I'm a Yankees fan, I'm definitely nervous, although, like, I feel like it's definitely not all out. I mean... Listen, it's the Rays. You don't always know which, if any of their hitters are going to show up. I mean, right. they seem to have been doing a consistent job of doing it yeah, so far. All but... of them have. The problem is they have enough decent hitters that some of them always seem to show up. And they never yeah. run out of pitching. I mean, it's it's all about depth with them. Every hitter that they bring up is, there's no superstar there, at least not yet. Although, Arena is hitting like one. But there's no real weakness either. 
Yeah, yeah it, imagine if A's the too. Cardinals had a had a player like Luke Voigt or Rosarena. Um, <laughs> oh, wait. oh, I thought I recognized Rosarena's name. Oh, that's where he came from. Is was he that was, also in was, the Ho- was that in the Jose Martinez trade? Oh mm-hmm. my God! How did they win that trade? <laughs> Not everybody criticized them. Um, yeah, because Jose Martinez wasn't that great. And you know they got. I think the real uh, prize of the deal was supposed to be Rosarena. They traded Jose Martinez. Ironically, they got rid of him so that Rosarena, who came over with him, could get more at bats. Who did they trade Martinez for? Was that the deadline? Yeah, to the Cubs. Um, I'm not even sure. I think they got a player to be named later. They really didn't get much. He only played like less than 20 games with them, I think. But if Rosarena works out, which he is so far, it's going to be a win for them. I mean, of course, the best time for a rookie to break out is during the postseason, in my opinion. Yeah. But I think we'll see. I guess we'll see what happens. I don't know. I'm very, I'm very much intrigued to see like what this uh, Rays team can pull off. I mean, it seems like they're going to beat the Yankees. I, unless the A's pull out like this, some insane five-run comeback with two outs I mean, in the ninth they're inning. They're down to the last strike. Well, they've been down to the last strike twice in this game, and they have gotten RBI singles both times. So yeah, that's a little bit nerve-wracking, but. Regardless, they, yeah, I feel like this race team is just better than this. Like, it's hilarious, like, the difference in pitching quality between the Rays and the Astros. Yeah. I can't even count how many homers the Astros have given up to the Rays team. Oh, there it is. Yeah, they won. As long yeah. as the Rays pull this off um, against the Yankees, I would be mildly, probably more than mildly surprised if they didn't beat the Astros. They should beat the Astros. I wouldn't rule the Yankees out, though, because if they win tonight, suddenly you have Cole against, um, I guess, now. Although you could always bring in bring in glass now for a couple innings too. Oh um, well, no, that'd be a really short rest. Yeah, that would be two uh, days. I the think. Yankees, I think, would have the advantage unless Cole somehow can't handle the short rest. Yeah, if I'm the Ashers, though, I'm rooting for the Yankees to win tonight. Like absolutely. Yeah, because they Although, can hit the, they can hit the Yankees pitching. Yeah, what's the break between pitches? Although I don't know about Cole. I mean, they know him, but just knowing Garrett Cole does not mean you can actually hit him. Right. So. When is when would the possible game one be? Because I know the series, regardless, is taking place in San Diego. I think it's Sunday. I think it's the 11th. So if there was a game five tomorrow, there would only be one one full day off for the Yankees. Well, for the Yankees or Rays, if there was a game five. Yeah, well, the Astros get to reset their quote-unquote rotation. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, here's Stanton. And I mean, he, Lord knows he hasn't hit enough bombs recently. He tied Daniel Murphy's record if he hit one tonight, postseason record. I think he's definitely going to hit one tonight. That's just a bold take. I mean, I I cannot. I almost can't see a world in which he doesn't hit a home run tonight. I mean, it's, I, he's very 2017 standing right now. Yeah. But yeah, when he get when he gets on a streak like this, it takes a lot to stop him. Yeah, because he, it's because he, he's hitting everything that hard. It's kind of it's. I mean, if he accidentally runs, he ran into a pitch by accident the other night that just went over the wall. Look who's up in the bullpen. Oh, God. It's your friend, mine, Ryan Yarbrough. I figured, Ryan Yarbrough. He, would, I figured he would start tonight, but I guess um, the opener got in the way of that. But he's going to give him a few innings. He's good. Yeah, he seems to always give six. Well, what I'm most afraid of is Nick Anderson, who's available, didn't pitch yesterday. Oh. Yeah, Nick Anderson's scary, but he, isn't scary. he only one inning scary? He threw two the other night. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I guess. In a, I mean, we all thought Liam Hendricks was one inning scary. Turns out he's yeah. three innings scary. Yeah, that's uh, that was a little nerve wracking that Liam Hendricks stuff. But I guess if you score enough runs before Liam Hendricks is able to come out, then it doesn't really matter. 
I, I for one cannot believe this Astros team. Yeah, it's doesn't seem like it should be happening. Well, there's 20, 29 and thirty one. I know this is this Astros team couldn't hit worth a lick. The what I think is absolutely hilarious is that the only thing this Astros team retained from the past few years is the lowest strikeout rate in baseball and one of the best home records in baseball. Yeah. The offense started getting hot toward the end of the year because Springer was really heating up. Brantley was hitting well. Uh, Tucker was hitting well. And now they have now they have Correa hitting well. I don't even know if I would say that, though. I mean, like, they started hitting a little better, but they were still losing series to the Rangers, losing series Springer, to the A's. Springer got hot uh, toward the end of the year. He had a really rough start. I don't know why. Like, it was just very uncharacteristic. He earned himself some money back. No, Springer starts slowly, usually. Yeah. He's, I mean... When he first came up to the majors, one issue with him is that he couldn't catch up on fastballs, and he would just routinely would be swinging out of his shoes. And so I feel like he always needs a little while to warm up. But like I don't know, he's always hot in October. It seems like from yeah from September third on, Springer hit three forty one, OPS around eleven hundred nine home runs. That's over twenty three games. That's pretty good. Yeah, Correa also retooled his swing, and so. He was basically working on it all season, trying to get it back to what he did like in 2015. Remember his rookie year when he was rookie of the year? And it seems to have been working relatively well. I mean, like he's gotten, obviously he's hit some home runs, but he also, he just drove in five runs today on three different hits, including uh, two sharp singles. So it's been nice to see him like actually get back to that level because even though like his defense has been as great as usual, his offense, like, you know, he's the kind of guy who you kind of, want to be a superstar in the same way that you want Bryce Harper to be a superstar. I love that. I just love that he's healthy. I mean, it feels like every time he runs into success, he runs into an injury and it's never a serious one, but it's enough to take him out for six to eight weeks. He had the broken wrist a few years ago. He had the back injury toward the end of 2018, I think. Broke his leg sliding into second in double A. I mean, he had a healthy year. He the power wasn't really there, but something's working now. Yeah. Like it's inc- Honestly, impressed with what this Astros team has done, and like you'd just want to imagine what they'd be able to do with a healthy, with a legitimately healthy Granky, with a healthy Verlander and a healthy Jordan Alvarez. But regardless, they are winning games somehow with like the youngest bullpen I've ever seen in my life. I think it's Ryan Presley and like thirty rookies. Hey, they've done a good job of pulling up pitchers who nobody had really heard of, um, Javier, who was a starter during the season. Um, he pitched in relief today, I think two and a third scoreless innings. But uh, Framber Valdez been great. We here yeah. at the Sidecast love Framber Valdez. I mean, one very impressive thing that he's done is like he's made a fan out of Mike Trout, which I think is hilarious. Okay. So Mike Trout and he uh, basically go toe to toe. Mike Trout has yet to get a hit off of him in ten in ten plate appearances. Uh, he's walked three times struck out three times and the rest of the time he just got an out and whatever i think he might have like one uh sacrifice fly off of him but mike trout said he had the best curveball he's ever seen and i think it's mostly due to the insane vertical movement that he gets on it but that's high praise from a guy who nobody sees the ball better than yeah the crazy remember is short is he not yeah he's like this small guy i think he's like 5 11 6 feet yeah, the craziest thing is he's almost 27. They didn't, like, I think Javier is, like, 23. Um, you know, they pulled him out of the minors, and, and he's a, a great arm for them. But, like, Valdez has been around, and I hadn't really heard of him before this year, but he's 27, almost 27. 
He made appearances last year, the year before. It's less that he's been around and more the fact that he didn't sign till he was 21, yeah. which is not what you usually get for a guy from the Dominican. But nevertheless, that's when they signed him. Yeah, and he debuted only three years after, like, he was signed, but still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's 5'11", and he's nearly 27. He's got to be, like, 210 pounds at least. He's lifted at 239. Yeah, that's that's accurate. That's, that's probably accurate. Exactly what you want to say. Maybe, like, a Dontrell Willis type, possibly. Which, I mean, would be phenomenal because Dr. Lewis is a great pitcher. But, I don't know. But, yeah, he, he uh, I think he was the one who was the big fan of Yordano Ventura, or was that Christian Javier? One of the two was. I would have to, I would think it would be Javier. I mean, Javier is the righty. Fair. But, anyway, yeah, this, like, the Ashes rotation built together from spare parts from, like, the 6th, the 17th, the 23rd best pro- prospects that, like, these guys who've never pitched above double A or single A even. This like random guy, Andre Scrub, who I think they got in the JD Davis trade. I know the hitters. What I think is interesting is that the hitters—they've been the same people all year. They just haven't been effective, and so them being effective changes everything. But also the pitchers, like since everyone got injured, you need these pitchers to over the course of the season really work into this kind of shape that they're in now. And like even though I'm sure you can't trust them at all, they did have like an 18. The bullpen had like an 18 and a third inning scoreless streak going into last night's game in the playoffs. Just really yeah, I, I think it's kind of weird how everybody's starting to hit now. Do we want to talk about how it's maybe a juice ball? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've seen so many home runs. I feel like you turn on a game and you see a fly ball, you know it's gone. But also barely any runs have been scored by any means other than the home run. And so there have been some games where teams have literally just traded solo shots the entire time. Uh, the entire it, Astros. But yeah, but the, yeah. the early innings of the Astros and A's. Like, in the game that just happened today, today being Thursday the 8th, the first run that was scored that wasn't scored on a home run was the 11th run of the ball game, which is mind-blowing and should not be. And the, the last two Astros runs were on a home run. The first A's runs to not be on a home run didn't happen until the ninth inning. And yeah, Loriano had all four RBIs. Yeah. The other side of that, the Braves didn't have a home run today. They scored had seven runs on ten hits, no home runs, and I was surprised to see that. They had five, uh, four guys with multi-hit games. Here's a question. How much of this is due to the fact that uh, the ball could be juiced, and how much of this is due to the fact that all these games have been played in either California or Texas, especially during this LCS, which has seen the most home runs? With some yeah, hot a, weather in both places. I mean, it has been unseasonably hot, but I think it's. I'm a firm believer that the balls are different. I think I honestly think that Manfred or somebody saw like man, 13 innings, no runs, like nobody scoring here. This isn't fun baseball to some people. We need to like boost some stuff here. Let's get the juice ball. And it's conspiracy theory, but I feel like it's a, a decent one. I mean, like we have. 87 home runs in 28 games coming into today in the postseason. That's over three a game. And we had about two and a half per game in the regular season. And the whole postseason, basically all those home runs are from the division series. So I feel like the number would be even higher, like maybe closer to three and a half or four home runs per game if I if then that number was just in the division series. It's been sort of unreal. That is interesting, though, how you you know you watch the the Braves and Reds struggle to put runs on the board um, for two days, and all of a sudden everybody's hitting home runs. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure weather has something to do with it. I mean, usually in the postseason, 
it's not, you know, instead of 30 teams scattered across the country, you do see a lot of cold weather type of uh, atmospheres. You know, think of New York, Chicago, and I guess it, it probably does affect it a little, being that it's in warm weather California, warm weather, well, indoor in Texas, which helps. But I would probably agree that something is up with the balls. I mean, Manfred hasn't earned anyone's trust on this issue. So I think anytime something like this happens, people are just going to assume it's the baseballs, and that's probably fair. I don't know. Some people have mentioned that it could be just that a lot of these teams rely on the home run, but I honestly think that we would have seen that if that were the case, then we would have seen more home runs in the wild card series by teams like the Reds specifically, who led the majors in percent of their runs scoring on home run. I think they 60% of their runs were from home runs and the Reds didn't even score once. The Reds couldn't hit is sort of the issue. They had 22 innings to hit and they couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, what we might get into talking about, I mean, we could talk about the home runs for a while, but honestly, this Braves team, I think, I, do, did we underrate it or they just not played anyone good? Because they've won every single one of their games. I think they've shut out the other team in three of them, if I'm not mistaken. And they just, no, four of them, actually. And so is this Braves team, should they be considered the favorites? They're not the favorites, but I think that they've definitely cl- claimed themselves to be one of the top two teams, obviously, but I think they can compete with the Dodgers, and I think it's very possible that they can beat the Dodgers. They they definitely seem like the team to me that, that can beat the Dodgers with their hitting. If Kyle Wright can survive, and man, I don't know how they're going to have a fourth starter. Is there, Who's their fourth starter going to be? That's the issue. They've got Freed. They've got Anderson. Um, who pitched uh, today? Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright, yeah. I mean, it seems like they've got, yeah, three guys. We'll see what happens with them. Um, going into the playoffs, pitching was definitely the issue because obviously hitting was not when you've got Acuna Jr., you've got Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna, the way that he's been hitting. So, I don't know. I feel like, though, they can go up against this Dodgers team and also a Dodgers team whose bullpen has absolutely proven to be shaky. I know the Dodgers also have yet to drop a game, but they've been shaky against San Diego, and the Brewers were not exactly scaring anybody. So, I don't know. This is the best, for the Braves, this is the best offense in baseball. I mean, the way I see it. When you have guys like, even down to Travis Darno had an outstanding season offensively. Adam Duvall can hit home runs any night. Um, there's really no... No weakness up and down. Ozzy Albies, too, was hurt uh, for a big portion of the year, and he came back and he hit the ground running. But the issue for me is it, it's getting it's going to be more difficult as you go deeper into the postseason because the first series you only need two starters if you can win those two. And Ian Anderson was great this year, Max Fried, Cy Young contender. The third one, um, the, the NLDS, you need three starters, and Kyle Wright wasn't very good this year. So I was a little surprised today, but he was also facing the Marlins. The Dodgers are a different animal. But I, I probably couldn't even tell you who they can put out there as a fourth starter. I mean, I they used so many different guys this year, and it's not their fault. Soroka got hurt. Uh, Fultonevich was, you know, brutal at the beginning of the year. Uh, Cole Hamels never pitched. Felix Hernandez opted out. If they had even half of that, they'd probably be the favorites, at least out of the National League right now. But I, I really am not sure what they're going to do after Ian Anderson in the NLCS, unless Kyle Wright can pitch like he did today. I assume a bullpen game, but... I don't know. We'll we'll see what we get from their bullpen. Obviously, it's shoved in the series against the Reds, and it's been very good again in the series against the Marlins. So, I believe it's only allowed one run this 
entire playoffs, their bullpen. So I would not be surprised if in game four we get that. Although I just don't know if we have actually any space between games. So like, are you able to play guys on three games rest? I hope so. But that's like, yeah, it's a very young uh, Braves rotation. And even though the bullpen like has some guys like, you know, Mark Melanson, who is pretty good. It's yeah, that's the shaky part. The hitting is obviously what matters. And if they can get hits off Kershaw, if they can get hits off Walker Bueller, if they can get hits off Dustin May, which none of none of which is guaranteed, then that's gonna be a much closer series than just like, oh yeah, the Dodgers are clearly the best team in the National League. Do you think if you had to say right now, do you think the Dodgers would win that series? Um right now I almost would pick the Braves just because the Dodgers I think the Dodgers can pull. I think they can win, but I think the Braves are a hotter team right now. I think the Dodgers' bullpen is not figured out while the Braves' one clearly is. And so, in something that if the Braves hadn't been doing what they've been doing, if they hadn't shown that they can put teams away really, really easily, then I think it would would be the Dodgers because I think they're just a more talented team. But this is the absolute wrong time to have a closer controversy where. Dave Roberts was talking about he's not sure if Kenley Jansen should still be the closer or Joe Kelly might be the closer, but all he did is walk a couple guys and induce a weak ground out. I don't know. I would pick Dan. The- did, yeah. did you see Joe Kelly, what he said today? No, what did he say? No. He said, this the bullpen that I'm in right now is the best bullpen I've ever, I've ever been a part of, oh. and I have a World Series ring. Oh, yeah, I got that alert. Well, I mean, I mean the thing is that Red Sox bullpen wasn't great. You know, they were able to, to work around it a little bit because they had Kimbrell and because they had um, Nathan Avaldi, who you could use as a reliever in that, you know, in the postseason. I, yeah, that doesn't really add up. The Dodgers have depth. I mean, a guy like, they got Adam Kolarik last year at the deadline. He's been great this year. But, but I don't know, if you don't have that guy at the end, and right now it doesn't look like they have that guy because Joe Kelly and Jansen both haven't pitched like that guy. It's tough, but I mean, they, they definitely do have the depth to compete with the Braves staff because I, the way I see it with the Braves is if you don't, if Ian Anderson or Max Fried slip up, they're going to have big trouble because I don't, I really don't trust anyone else in the rotation. And at some point the bullpen is going to get overworked. Yeah. I mean, Shane Green is the only guy I actually, tr- oh, well, I, I guess I can trust Will Smith, but Shane Green and Will Smith are the only guys that I can trust if I'm a Braves fan. Not a Mark Melanson fan? No, Mark Melanson is a closer that loves to play with fire yeah I, I feel like i can trust him in the playoffs i don't know he seems Didn't like work last year yeah it's true but regardless that team like they've been like binter i really like uh he was good this season um i don't know I, I feel like it's been it's hot right now there's no reason to think it would stop being hot unless you think yet yeah, the braves literally haven't played anyone because the marlins were sort of running on fumes of oh, we're just a good team, and they did play the Cubs, which Sammy rightly pointed out a couple weeks ago. Just bad team. Just bad team overall. Yeah, we don't need to talk about last week. Man, my predictions were horrible. You know what? We, I think we all had either the Twins or the White Sox in the LCS, so that shows us what we know. Um, but anyway, so should we talk about the Dodgers team? Is, so is this Dodgers team, We obviously the lineup, is outstanding. Obviously, it's one of the best lineups we've ever seen in baseball. We know that the Braves have a decent chance to beat them. We know that it's relatively unlikely the Padres are going to end up beating them, and by the time this podcast comes out, the Padres might already have been eliminated. But 
should we talk about them as the World Series favorites? Because according to uh, ESPN's projections, they have a 43.1% chance of winning it all, while no other team has a chance over about 15%. Yeah, I mean, wow. That's, I think... If I'm speaking for the Braves, the Braves need to keep these contributions from guys at the bottom of the lineup like Darno and Dansby Swanson happening because they're Swanson's they've been very been productive. streaky this year. Yeah. And uh Darneau's been very underratedly good the entire season. He kind of fell off a bit towards the end, I think. They're batting him clean up in some games, so they clearly trust him as a catcher. He's a former top prospect who like Oh, Swanson is also a former top prospect. It seems like the Braves are very much willing to collect these kind of guys and hope that they make something out of them. And even like, I feel like guys like that often, the former top prospect who, but like you're getting him five years past when he was supposed to break out, usually is only good for a year or two. But I mean, he's doing really well right now. So I mean, the same could be said about Corey Seager. Yeah, Corey Seager, he's one of the more interesting guys. I mean, we've talked about him on the podcast a lot, but I don't know, Dan, what have you do you think Corey Seager is the best player on the Dodgers right now? No, I would take Mookie Betts. But I I think I think all things considered, um, offensively and defensively, Mookie Betts is the best player on the team, at least right now. But I mean, Corey Seager, he's kind of another guy like Correa. They actually they came up um I think Seager was the rookie of the year in twenty sixteen in the National League. Correa in 2015 in the AL. They were like one in three in the prospect rankings. Yeah. And, I believe. I probably yeah, got called up. Another guy, like he missed, a, I think he missed most of a year. What was that? Tommy John surgery. He missed most of the season. And ever since then, he wasn't really, he wasn't, he didn't seem right. And, but everybody knew he had the talent to be the type of hitter he is this year. And I'm, it's kind of like you're happy to see him do well. But yeah. when, you have, you know, when you have him, I mean, when you have bets in that lineup and they're both performing at the level they can. They're very, very difficult to stop, especially with the depth, the rest of the lineup. Yeah, it's a great Dodgers team. Uh, Seager obviously has been one of, has hit the ball harder than pretty much anybody this year, which we've talked about. His exit velocity is at the top in baseball. His hard hit percentage, his ex-OBA, et cetera. He's barreling up the ball better than anybody, and he's not really not striking out that much at all. So he and Betts obviously are great. Bellinger, it seems like, is really good at exactly the right time so regardless i think that's a Dodgers see much like the middle of the lineup but also the top of the lineup but also the bottom of the lineup is sort of um kind of it's undoubtedly terrific although chris taylor would be nice if he you know started got a hit in these playoffs but i guess we'll see if he gets one man it seems like a revolving door of chris taylor austin barnes will smith matt Beatty, just will smith very hitless spot- in the playoffs as well yeah, very spotty contributions from all of those guys. And he was yeah. doing well in the second half of the season um, after a slow start. But He was terrific, yeah. But it makes, but... It makes you think about their potential. I mean, if he starts hitting, if any of these guys start hitting, I mean, they're just they're so good from top to bottom. I think anything can happen, but they definitely have to be the favorites. Yeah. Were you at all worried about Kershaw's start? I mean, Kershaw, playoff Kershaw is playoff Kershaw. I, I don't really believe in the... In the idea that he's terrible in the postseason, he usually isn't. Um, but he, but he always has his moments, and I think he didn't walk anybody, which is nice. He gave up some contact, and he seems to have a thing for giving up back-to-back home runs. I mean, I couldn't help. <laughs> it just really reminded me of what happened last year. But luckily, they had enough runs on the board that it didn't tie the game. And he somehow got the win still, if that yeah. means literally anything. Yeah, I feel like it's a issue with Kershaw. 
it's a lot of the times it's his fault, but a lot of the times it's the manager's fault for putting it, putting him in or leaving him in. I guess the most common is leaving him in. I mean, the first real playoff Kershaw moment of the 2014 NLDS against the Cardinals when he just like literally gave up seven singles in a row and in the seventh inning and wasn't taken out. And then he just, it's, and then in the same series, I think he was uh, let in for the Matt Adams three run home run that gave them the lead. And then in the 2019 NLDS, he was left in after he shut the door on the seventh inning and Soto and Rendon went back to back off of him. He's just, he really is never in the right place at the right time. Yeah. One thing about Kershaw, I feel like, I don't even know if it's a Dave Roberts problem. I feel like Kershaw has never not been the best pitcher on the Dodgers, like best pitcher or reliever on the Dodgers. And I feel like Dave Roberts or whoever the manager is just like looks at Kershaw, sees him in, looks at every guy in his bullpen, realizes Kershaw is better than every guy in his bullpen. And it's sort of like, well, I trust him more than these other guys to get these outs. Like, am I really taking out Clayton Kershaw at this point? And then Clayton Kershaw gives up a couple bombs when because he's too gassed to go on. I don't know. But he should not be gassed at like around 70 pitches like he was yesterday. So that is something which you really do not want to see from Clayton Kershaw uh, in this thing where he, I mean, I'm sure he won't pitch again in this series. But at the same time, like you want him to be pitching well enough for, like you want him to be playing pitching in game one of the next one and let's let's get into Yankees Rays I think enough Kershaw talk I mean obviously one of the games is going on right now the Yankees seem to have at least have started off with an early lead it's two nothing I have no idea what we're going to see after this but Ryan Yarbrough finally came in and shut things down after having Ryan Thompson go in I think far too long but yeah, I mean if you have 81 on your back it's not a great idea to, that you should be pitching more than one inning but anyway, so what do you guys think about this series so far? Any surprises? Any people? I don't know. I mean, obviously, Luke Voigt and Giancarlo Sanon hitting home runs is not something that's really going to make people say, whoa, I didn't expect that. But I don't know. Kyle, however you say his last name. Hashioka. 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 What do you guys think? Well, I think it's um, time to play ring around the Arroz Arena. I mean, we've seen four straight games with a home run, if, if I'm not mistaken, for Arroz Arena or three, rather, three. And he's, you know, he's not the guy you would expect to do that. You would expect Stanton, who, as it happens, also has, or Judge or Voight to be hitting home runs in every single game that they're playing in. But it's a Rosarena, this small guy that came over in the Jose Martinez trade, uh, as we talked about. But it's, it kind of puts more fuel into the fire that, hey, maybe these balls are doing something different. I hate to go back to it, but we're seeing guys like him and Chad Pinder and Sean Murphy just hit absolute bombs. Don't slander Chad Pinder. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we can talk about the juice balls as long as we want because, I mean, it's probably been the only real story. I don't know. If you really care, if you're really that attuned into what's going on, maybe you're like, oh, these Astros, I can't believe they're at it again. But like, it's just the same team that we've seen in the playoffs every few years. I guess if you only watch baseball during the playoffs, you'd be like, ah, yeah, that Astros team was pretty good last year. But I'd say that the Rays are improving on what we saw last year. A Rosarena, yeah. A Rosarena is obviously the story that you have outside of, I don't know, if you want to talk about the Padres, whom I wish we could talk about more with Tatis Jr. and Machado and Eric Osmer too, like really showing up. It's 
a shame that their pitching just like hit a brick wall right before they came into the playoffs. So, but anyway, Dan, what do you think about Rays Yankees so far? Anything you might want to touch on? It just seems like the Yankees. The issue with this team is they're kind of trying to get from coal to coal. You have games one, two, and uh, well, two, three, and four with the whole Garcia half thing. I would have left Garcia in there, but I think the main story is that they're having a lot of trouble finding consistent pitching outside of Cole. Obviously, Tanaka is their second best starter. They wanted, for strategic reasons, to put him in game three, um, and it didn't work out. He wasn't that great. Even with the extra rest, he wasn't that great. So you wonder how much longer can they go only relying on getting from one Garrett Cole start to the next. They also don't have the type of bullpen they used to have, and that's really hurting them. They have select few relievers that they trust. Um, even And even one of them, Chad Green, isn't performing that well. Britton they trust, Chapman they trust, but Adovino is outside of the circle of trust right now. And you have guys like Luis Sessa coming in who they really have never trusted. They used to have, pitching for the Yankees has never been the strong suit, but they just used to have more talent in the bullpen, more depth in the bullpen. The whole staff right now seems to be relying on Garrett Cole. And, you know, it might... They're up to nothing right now, but they might not even get to him a second time. And that's a big problem. I think also Gary Sanchez's miserable season is very much going under the radar. I mean, he really just hasn't hit at all. And we, I think this Yankees team could be in a lot more games if they got more production from the catcher spot. You know, he's a guy, he's a guy that you would have thought that like, maybe he would be a good DH because his catching isn't that great, but he's, it's almost, his fielding's almost better than his hitting this season. And that's obviously not a good thing you want to say about Gary Sanchez. Yeah. I mean, right now, like he's clearly not catching Garrett Cole. I don't believe that he's uh, played in this series so far. Would that be right? Or do you play in game two? He played in he might have had game two, but he, he, doesn't, yeah. he didn't catch Naka either. So, so. That clearly the Yankees' two best pitchers don't trust him, or maybe it's just Aaron Boone that doesn't trust him. So when you're batting like Kyle Hayashoka ninth in the lineup and he's not really doing much for you, even though he wasn't too bad in the previous series, that's going to be scary. I mean, he's playing today and he drew a walk his first time up. But I don't know. I feel like Jordan Montgomery... Again, this game will have ended by the time anyone hears it, but I don't trust Jordan Montgomery going in for the next time through this, this Rays lineup because, like, Brandon Lau is actually good, and Araz Arena, you know, is going to figure him out, and G-Man Choi. Oh, should we talk about how G-Man Choi is, like, Garrett Cole's nemesis at this point? Yes. I, I lo- I've loved looking at the at how much, how much G-Man Choi rakes against Garrett Cole. The, the funniest thing about G-Man Choi is that... Yeah, but G-Man Choi is 10 for 19 in his career against Cole, and he has four home runs off of him, which is kind of nuts. And how about you guys try to guess who the other three players are to hit four home runs off of Garrett Cole? Hmm. One is very obvious. One is a little tough, but remember the division that Cole used to play in, and the other you will never figure out. All right, so I I honestly kind of want to do this. All right. Based on division, NL Central 2015, um, is it a Cub? No. Okay, that's unfortunate. Wow. Is it's a Cardinal. It's a Cardinal. Is who? It's a Carpenter. Yeah, it's Carpenter. That's a good one. That's a good guess. All right, so All right. Carpenter and G-Man Choi, two more. One is very obvious and makes sense in the division that he played in the last couple of years. Uh, 
Oh, okay. AL West. Um, yeah, I was about to say, was it is Trout? No. Okay, who in the AL West is known for hitting bombs? Joey Gallo. Yep, that's right. You will never guess the other one. All I'm going to say is that he played on the Mets. Jed Lowry. No. <laughs> I can't, There's not a chance. You Think of guys who you would have no chance of guessing played for. Can um, I get a position? No, no, no chance of like being the player who actually did this, who actually hit four home runs off of Garrett Cole. But position? Yeah. Um, I mean, he looks like he would be a DH. Can I say that? He's a first baseman, though? Dom Smith? No. Hmm. Again, uh, hey, Dom Smith met, but yeah. This is a, but, but a journey, a journeyman, but most well-known for being a Met, I would say. Most well-known for being a Met, and he's a journeyman. Why is this so hard? Yeah, no, for baseball nerds like us, this should be cakewalk. I know. No, this is not cakewalk, but he... Well, no, because it, based on... I, I, like, I'm just going to throw out players that I would that fit that criteria. He was a Met for the first seven years of his career and has played for a different team every year in the past four years. Who is Daniel Murphy. No. Are you serious? Yeah, it's a lefty. Man, that guy fit every criteria. Murphy's a good okay. one. Murphy's a good guess. A few years with the... He had like three years with the Nationals. But this guy, Sam, in 2014 and 2015, he hit uh, 57 home runs combined. Ooh, Okay. So at one point in his life, he was a home run hitter. At one point in his life, he was a home run hitter, and he was on the Mets. Yeah. For seven years. For seven, seven years. years. Actually, eight years, but one year was just like... Well, he, he wasn't the best player. He wasn't the best player. Let's say that much. Lucas Duda? Yes. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, Lucas Duda. Some is even less likely than G-Man Choi to have four homers... Uh, off of Garrett Cole, but nevertheless, he has pulled it off. So that really adds up now. I don't know. I mean, not the fact that he hit those home runs, but yeah, first base type, first baseman, but the DH, DH type. type. That's that's Lucas Duda. Power. Yeah. Know. Maybe if he feasted off of him in those 2014, 2015 years, maybe they played the Pirates a bunch. I don't know. But Garrett Cole is is would who would still say he's the best pitcher in the world? Would it be uh, Shane Bieber instead, who seems to not be made of playoff material? No, I would say it's Cole. I think yeah. Bieber is the best pitcher this season, but I would still think that Cole is the best pitcher in baseball. I think DeGrom is definitely in that conversation. Here's a question I've got for you guys. Of the teams that have been eliminated, the teams that were eliminated before this round in the wild card round, which most surprised you? The Reds. Okay. Why is that? Uh, I really thought they would score runs. I really thought that, you know, only four playoff teams were in the East um, and there were seven in the Central. I felt the Reds were more battle tested than they were. And they were honestly hitting off of better pitching from the Central than anyone from the East. Because the East, neither East division really had the best pitching. I think everybody would agree. And I think the Central is where you find the best pitchers. And... I was kind of thinking that that Maybe was not the, the best pitching depth, but the best, yeah, the I, best, yes. But I and I was very sure that it was only because they were facing such good pitching that their regular season offensive numbers were down. Although they started to pick it up at the end of the season, and I thought they were going to ride that into the postseason, and they just got so many runners on base via walks and dinky hits, and never really barreled the ball up. Yeah, Dan, what about you? Which team from the previous round do you are you 
kind of shocked that they didn't make it to this one. Yeah, I'm ashamed to admit I had the White Sox in the World Series. I really No shame like, here. No shame yeah. for that. <laughs> I really like their offense. I mean, when, when you can put two I mean, two MVP candidates and Abreu and Tim Anderson and still have um, Eloy Jimenez. And I, Luis Robert had a really tough second half of the year, but he's very talented. I thought they wouldn't have much of a problem with the A's. Um, I was a believer in the A's before the season, but losing Matt Chapman hurt, and they just haven't hit like I expected them to. I thought the White Sox would finish that one up pretty easily. Um, and I like their chances the rest of the way, too, because you could put Giolito and Keuchel out there with that offense. Uh, the bullpen was still figuring some things out, but Colome had a great year. Um, they had a few guys who had positive years, Evan Marshall. I thought they were maybe up there with the Rays, Yankees, the more, most complete teams in the American League. Um, but, you know, I, I think I overestimated the entire AL Central because I had two of the three winning. I thought the Indians would give the Yankees a run. Uh, I, yeah, I thought the Indians would make it. We overestimated the entire Central. Could yeah. That's, what I think, one of the most underrated parts of this season, like seeing what – obviously it's literally a two- or three-game sample in this case. It's can you win a series against a team that you probably haven't even faced all season? So I don't know how telling it really is. But the fact that there was almost every team in the playoffs was from two divisions, the ones that played each other and also had some – god-awful teams at the bottom of them and then none of those teams make the next round is sort of insane isn't it not what i expected at the very least not what i expected either and it's really weird because speaking from the reds um game they were dominated in both games game game one trevor bauer was the only reason that they were in that game it was a miracle that the bullpen held up for for as long as they did and it was just i mean they didn't score a run and it was this, the Indians game one was just Bieber got absolutely lit up. And, you know, that vaunted pitching in game two was horrible. Gave up 10 runs. You know, even when you score nine runs, 10 runs is going to beat you. Spoiler alert. And so, yeah, that it, obviously we talked before the playoffs about how bad the Indians offense was outside of like literally Jose Ramirez. So I was not too surprised that they couldn't pull it off, but man, I expected their pitching would be better. I thought, yeah, I like you thought that the Reds and the Indians would use their pitching to help carry them into the next round. Dan, like you, I thought that the White Sox would use their, and that the Twins too would use their hitting to carry them into the next round. And instead, that all kind of fell flat on they all those all teams all these teams kind of fell flat on their faces, and each one got quote unquote swept outside of the White Sox. Yeah, the White Sox was very sneaky because they. Giolito almost throws a perfect game in his in the first game, and then they have the lead in game two, and it was very much like a kind of like a transfer of power in the middle of game two. Would the A's finally like get the elephant off their back? I I think um, the NL Central. I have a little different take on it. Like, do you think we talked about how the we thought they had the best pitching um, overall? Is it possible some of that pitching, especially the numbers they put up this year? probably the top two or three Sion uh, finishers in the National League. Is that partly because of how bad the offenses were? I mean, it looks like, you know, the Cubs The Cubs didn't hit this year. The Brewers were historically bad offensively. The Pirates are, are obviously a pushover. Um, and the Cardinals did. The Cardinals hit a little bit. They didn't have much power. Is it possible the offense was just that bad that this division almost – we shouldn't have really factored them in in the postseason. Yeah, and also again, the this only teams that this division played was were those teams in the AL Central where you had a terrible Indians offense. 
you obviously had the great White Sox and Twins, but they were outliers. It's not like the Rays. It's not like the Royals or Tigers were really like world beaters, especially not the Royals. Well, the Tigers were. I think they were the only team in baseball to strike out more often than the Brewers were. So that's clearly not the team that you want to be. So yeah, w- was this pitching real? That's a great question that I don't know if we get answered because of just the strangeness of this season. Like, who would you say was the best pitcher outside of that division? Would you, like, I guess Jacob deGrom is the guy you have to go to? Outside of both central divisions? Yeah. Then, yeah, it would probably have to be deGrom. So, yeah. And, like, Devin Williams, who Sam and I have talked about a lot and think is amazing, but also hurt his arm which is or shoulder, which is really not good. He also was feasting on teams in this division. And, like, I don't think that, I don't know, Corey Seager, Mookie Betts were going to suddenly start hitting Devin Williams a change. But maybe you start getting that doubt into your head at least a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I guess this NL Central was spread thin. It's kind of funny that even though all these Central, there were seven Central teams in the playoffs and yet none of them played each other in the first round. Yeah. It is like a little, oh, surprising there. And it was kind of, there was some sort of, um, you know, it was it was nice to see all these matchups be division rivals playing each other, and all of them to be the first and versus second team in their division. But I don't know, strange playoffs so far. Yeah, it's very much taking in. I guess not. It's very much saying that the regular season, you know, you can't judge these teams based off the regular season because they're not playing the same teams, and that that's a. I think that was a very weird thing for me when I was trying to figure out who is, you know, the better team in any given matchup. They usually, if you were playing in the first round, you likely didn't play each other in the regular season. So, you know, there's nothing to go off of. So that's what I think was very, it mixed me up at least. It just gave us a very warped view of the central. I mean, they were essentially playing in an echo chamber and we we were just weren't able to figure out, um, that maybe they, they just weren't at the level of the other two, of the East and the West. But it's interesting. I mean, it's it's probably nothing that we'll ever have to deal with again, you know, once we go back to a normal schedule. But it's definitely really interesting, the way it all played out. What I find a little fascinating is the fact that there's been so much, uh, there's been so many home runs in this round. In the last one, obviously we did have home runs, although it seemed like they didn't come quite as often. Because you think that when teams don't see each other very much, then uh if the pitching is what usually uh, is better off. And I think we mostly saw that the fact that there was a near perfect game in the playoffs, as I think one of the more uh, obvious uh, signs of that, but in this round you see teams that really know each other really well. And so I'm almost like, maybe that's a good explanation for the fact that there have been so many helmets. Obviously, yes, the juice ball helps. There was this one Kyle Tucker ball that looked like it was going to like normal fly out to center field and just kept going back and back. And finally, Loriano had to jump at the wall to get it. But these teams have seen each other so much. They know exactly what the other teams are going to try to do. Everyone knows the pitchers are absolutely gassed at this point. And so the hitters are basically, fe- everyone except for the Marlins hitters, they've been feasting in this round which has been, I think, really interesting to see. So the fact that we have had no bad blood and no fighting almost is like a shocker for the fact that we're playing playoff baseball with four different division rivals who I'm sure hate each other, like the Yankees and the Rays or the Athletics and the Astros. But we had we had the Braves Marlins kind of dust up. We had the Dodgers Padres dust up yesterday. That's true. 
but just not in the AL, which is where I would have most expected to see it. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's because I don't think any of the games, the Yankees and Rays games have been close, right? Well, that could be. I mean, there have been a lot of home runs, basically. Uh, The Rays had a chance, I think, to win the game uh, that they lost. They had men on in the ninth inning, but they just couldn't pull it off. But also, like, you're probably not fighting in the ninth inning. So it could be an explanation. But this one so far, it's two to one. I think we're also going to get a lot of hits in this one since I don't know if Jordan Montgomery uh, is going to go very much further. Um, but And Ryan Yarbrough obviously is in right now. And we'll see just how hittable he is. But He's usually hittable, but he usually doesn't get hit. If we see if we see Yankees-Astros, I have to imagine that the bad blood is going to spill out, right? I have to imagine that nobody wants that series to happen outside of Yankees and Astros fans. And unfortunately, I have both of them sitting you know, talking to me right now. Yeah, maybe maybe the the big uh maybe the people in charge at uh MLB also want that. I just gotta suggest that as a possibility. I feel like what, that no, I hundred percent think that, that you know athletics and rays are not the teams that MLB wants in the World Series. I don't know about the Padres. I don't know if the Padres MLB cares about the Padres, but they they hype up the Padres because of Tatis. I think they love they love the potential that Tatis has, the market potential. Yeah, because if he becomes one of the top three players in the game every year like Trout has, then suddenly he's a guy who actually is exciting to talk about as opposed to Mike Trout, who is less exciting than the sliced bread subway ads he does. I think that Grand Slam thing with the Rangers was the best thing MLB could have hoped for. I mean, yeah. in reality, there wasn't a big a big segment of people pushing back against him bat flip, or not even bat flipping. Again, swing on a 3-0 pitch. Accidentally hitting a Grand Slam. <laughs> the vast, vast majority of people were in favor of it, and the fact that those that little minority drums up that whole conversation about it was pretty great for baseball. Definitely put Tatis's name out there. Yeah, and he obviously has been doing that himself with the uh, home runs he's been hitting. But I also think it's hard to in baseball to really sway a game unless you're the one playing it. Yeah, well, it's it's notable that not only did he do it in a three zero game, he did it in a game that San Diego is also leading by a lot. So. It, it, that's the kind of thing where it doesn't impact a game quite as much, but is still nevertheless something to talk about. I guess the unwritten rules. Are there unwritten rules in any other sport? Even basketball doesn't really have unwritten rules. People still shoot the ball after the buzzer, even if there's no time left in a game where someone teams up by 25. I think in the NFL, you saw a little bit of it. Well, actually, probably nobody saw any of it because I'm not sure how many people watched the Jets and Broncos, but I did. <laughs> At the end of the game. Yeah, they kind of went after them. Yeah. That's for we're going after them. Um, and, you know, that's not something you see a lot. Like, it made me think of, I think it was 2000, no, 2012 or maybe 2013, the Giants and Buccaneers, where Greg Schiano was coaching the Buccaneers, and they were, the Giants were trying to kneel down, and the Buccaneers were still giving 110%, and they had, they took issue with it. But, you know, it's, it's kind of rare instances that that happens, mostly because there's no reason to go after players, usually, unless you're out of case. Or- Classic Greg Schiano move. The Number one person I would expect to do that. Number two would be Greg Williams. Oh, yeah, but I remember Super Bowl forty nine when Malcolm Butler got the interception. They were at like the one inch line, and they had to figure out a way to kneel without getting a safety. And they kind of screwed it up because, like, I think Gronk baited like the offensive line to like an unsportsmanlike or something. No, they induce an offsides, and yeah. then when the team got mad that there was an offsides, I think there was like some yeah. Uh, fight. Yeah, yeah, I think it was that. But it was it's very I it's always fun to see the what the offense what the linemen do when there's a kneel down. 
at the yeah. end of the game. I don't know. There's there's no victory formation in baseball or basketball. So I kind of like that. Uh, the, there's a sport where you have to keep doing something every forty seconds. I mean, baseball, basketball too, obviously. But teams sort of just like sort of dribble the clock out, and no one really cares all that much. There's no hitting or pushing. There's there's no like a thirty point play you can pull off in uh, in basketball. All right. Um, I think we're excited to watch the end of this uh, Rays Yankees game. Uh, honestly, I hope it goes five, just because I would love to see Garrett Cole going up against uh, this Rays team in a game five that I'm sure will be much more likely to have some real drama going on in it. I don't know, like, obviously he's great, and obviously the Rays know that it's not fun facing Garrett Cole for the second time in three days, but I don't know, maybe they can hit him. They've seen him quite a lot in the playoffs. This would be their fourth time in two years seeing Garrett Cole, and I don't know if they've seen any other pitcher more than once, I guess Verlander, but I'm excited. Dan, I, I assume that you are biting your knuckles at this point, but at the same time. I am, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a very, very good race team. They're very yeah. deep. All you got to do is hold on somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sam is just, like, not excited whatsoever. Yeah, watching, man, rough month for sports for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you're a Giants fan, and Daniel Jones is. I don't know what he's doing at this point. I, I, I'm tired of people blaming Daniel Jones for the mistakes he makes. They're yeah. almost never hit. Thanks, though. And the mistake was just Daniel Jones, I believe. Incorrect. <laughs> never never had an offensive line. Never had a coach who knew what he was doing. You know, Daniel Jones wouldn't have to worry about this if he wasn't drafted by the Giants and whoever the Giants quarterback right now uh, had, there was actually, they drafted a tackle instead of. We did draft a tackle. We drafted Andrew Thomas. Maybe at number six that when they took Daniel Jones. Yeah, whatever, Josh Allen. We could have taken the other Josh Allen. We know. No, I mean, oh, I mean an O-lineman. Oh, well, yeah. Eh. Um, This is a fun pod. Hopefully we get Rays Yankee. Uh, uh, we get Astros Yankees in the ALCS. I know. I'm sure hoping for that. Uh, and Dodgers Braves, I have to imagine. It's a series that we all wanted to see last year, but we unfortunately didn't get. And Astros Yankees is a series that we all wanted to see last year, and now basically no one wants to see this year, but we might still get anyway. But I'm sure that'll be a fun week, and we will talk to you guys soon. All right, then thank you, Dan, so much for coming on the pod. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, so we're just adding this in right now. We do not know what's going to happen in Game 5 of Lakers versus the Heat, but we've had an interesting series so far. It's mostly gone the way that we expected. Not entirely. I think game three uh, was sort of the one game which we sort of like, well, we knew this could happen. We just didn't know if it would. But yeah, so we're just going to get on quickly, talk about not really game two because that wasn't that great of a game, but game three, touch on a little bit, and then game four, which I think both Sam and I think was probably the deciding game in the series, the one that made it through. Oh, yeah, it's going this way, and we're absolutely sure it's going this way. But Sam, what do you see there that stuck out to you? Well, yeah, obviously game three was kind of like we went, we saw the Lakers go up 2-0 and then game, we thought, you know, oh yeah, this, this series is over. Bam and Dragic not even going to play really that game three happened and they won. It's like, oh, you know what? Maybe there's a chance, you know, if they prove they can win without their stars, maybe they can win. But I think the Lakers were very much, they didn't really game plan for, you know, the Heat being without two of their best players. And I honestly think that that's what happened in game three because they just did not look good at all. And then game four, they came out and realized that they can't, they need to be focused a little bit more. 
you know, they started hitting their shots. They started playing defense. Bam was, eh. Butler was very good, but he can't carry that team by himself. Um, and he or down three one, very much staring down the the barrel of this Lakers team, and they have to win three games in a row. Yeah, one thing about game three that I thought was interesting is the Heat found a way that would sort of kind of work against the Lakers, but the, it sort of also count on the Lakers buying it entirely. What they did is they put out Myers Leonard for all those Dwight Howard minutes, and Myers Leonard is. He's a big body who can go down low and sort of kind of make you keep your eye on him on the floor. And, like, he didn't really play that many minutes because he can't really play that much against this Lakers team if Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee aren't out there. But Kelly Olynyk was actually really interesting because they were running out these lineups with Jimmy Butler, either Andre Godala or Jay Crowder, and then Kelly Olynyk, uh, Duncan Robinson, and Tyler Hero. Maybe you switch in... Igadala for a hero or Robinson or something like that, like that at some point. What they were trying to do is stretching the floor as much as possible. They got a little lucky in game three because Anthony Davis was in early foul trouble, specifically for some offensive fouls. And I don't know if, if they were defensive fouls and I'm sure he wouldn't have felt like that badly doing going off an offense, but he was getting fronted in the post a lot by the heat. And so he wasn't receiving the ball quite as easily. And so they didn't, I think they ran maybe one play for him the entire game, which is kind of crazy. But also, yeah, the foul trouble made him stop being aggressive. And so Kelly Olynyk and Jimmy Butler were able to at least approximate those dribble handoffs. Jimmy Butler obviously was driving a lot. But what the big, the biggest thing that Lakers ended up switching for game four is that Jimmy Butler had LeBron on him and he would just get LeBron switched every time. He would just always pull off a switch and with Kelly Olenek helping him there with Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero running in there then the Lakers would just switch nice and easily Jimmy Butler turned it on he powered through the uh the Lakers a bunch he was able to get to the rim time and time and time again he drew a ton of fouls and so he was also at the free throw line a bunch and so he obviously had one of the greatest finals games ever in the fact that he's one of only three guys ever to get a 40 point triple double in an NBA Finals game, which is still kind of nuts to realize that that happened. But yeah, Sam, why don't we talk about how the Lakers responded to that in game four? Yeah, they basically said, all right, well, we're not going to switch now. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, like they just <laughs> basically said, yeah, no, LeBron, you're staying on this guy or whoever's guarding him. Don't switch. Like we saw that he's getting drawing these mismatches and just going to work on them. And now, you know, now, you know, if we don't switch, we have a much better chance if we have somebody that's, you know, his size and his athleticism guarding him, he can't do much. Yeah. Well, there's one thing we should mention. The reason that they often were able, they stay, so they started not switching in game four. Also, I don't know what Frank Vogel's thinking. Maybe he's like, oh, you know, I kind of want to see Dwight out there just because they've got Bam out of Bayou out there. Listen, I get it, Frank. You want to see if Dwight Howard can work and you can do your one point. They, they, they had to move to their 2.0 lineup. They needed to against Jimmy Butler because what was going on is that Jimmy Butler at the beginning of game one was setting these screens. He first, he had Anthony Davis on him. So he, the entire game, he either had LeBron James or Anthony Davis on him, which is obviously not who you want to be guarding. You know, Anthony Davis was actually incredible on him and showed why he was the number two guy for the defensive player of the year this year. But so they were setting these screens with, 
uh, Jimmy Butler and either Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero, who, first of all, what happens if you're Anthony Davis and you slip and you uh, slip that screen, basically, uh, to get onto Jimmy Butler? You know who's wide open? It was wide open at a time like this? Tyler Hero. But so what was going on is so that at the beginning of the game, when they had Dwight in, they kept doing the switching, and it didn't work at all. The Heat jumped off to, I don't know uh, how much they were up by, but at the very least, they kept scoring. The only reason they weren't doing more is because like they also were missing all of their shots from outside, which was a huge problem the entire game. And like actually, they had like a yeah. theme in the series. Yeah, the Heat offense in the first three games would have been a better offense than the Bucks in the regular season. And during game four, it would have been worse than any other offense in the entire league. So that's a big switch. And also, they didn't even get to 100 points, which we should note. But yeah, there was a lot of bad stuff in the beginning for the Lakers that they kind of got bailed out on because the Heat couldn't hit anything. And also, the Lakers were hitting only... Could we also talk about this? The fact that the Lakers, KCP? yeah, KCP, 15 points, five assists, five yeah. assists. KCP, who we should mention before he got drafted, I went back and I looked at this back from, I don't even know how long it was. I think it was 2015. Might have even been 2013. I don't remember. But so KCP was this guy who was a three-point specialist, very good defensive player, but his biggest weakness is he couldn't pass the ball. Terrible passer, horrific passer. And so somehow he shows up when the moment is at its biggest and is the guy that the Lakers just need to do this kind of stuff and help them. And KCP absolutely helps them clinch that game three win. But so that was crazy. Yeah, the Lakers seem to make every single one of their corner threes and miss every single one of their above the break threes that LeBron James didn't take. So that was interesting. I don't know why the Heat kept leaving those guys open, but I guess like if you have if you got to want to stop LeBron, you have to actually try to stop him since they went away from the zone that didn't do anything in the slightest. Yeah, it's weird that that zone didn't do anything when we said, you know what, maybe they should try the zone. Is it weird, though? It was against LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Again, at specifically, it was against LeBron James. LeBron James is a zone killer. That's what Arik it's was like, saying like, on the pod last week. It's like... You know, the Chiefs going into zone defense against Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game. It's like that dude's been picking apart zone defenses for 20 years. Whoa, oh, 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 you think he hasn't seen this one before? Is this is this some crazy thing? Eric Spolstra used to be his no, coach. This Tampa 2. He's never seen the Tampa 2. Uh, I, I almost am thinking like maybe Spolstra's thinking and said, you know what LeBron James didn't do? He never went to college. So I bet he's never seen a good zone defense in his life. <laughs> Genius. No, I know Spolich is a better coach than that. But yeah, they went away from the zone because it didn't work because LeBron is better passing it out, passing out of it than anyone else. What I love, I love the ball movement that the Lakers had because LeBron would hold on to the ball just for long enough and then he would do that classic thing where instead of, you know, they want to swing it to the guy in the corner, but instead LeBron gets the ball maybe like 17 feet from the basket near the wing and waits for the other guy to go on him, quickly flips the ball to the guy at the wing, and then the guy who was guarding the corner guy realizes that, uh uh-oh, there's a wide-open guy at the wing and goes to cover him, and then the corner guy is open, and that's the only shot the Lakers can hit. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a play that's very easy to scout. Yeah, but also the thing that makes it impossible to stop is when your team has LeBron James, 
So unfortunately, 29 teams do not have LeBron James, so it's a little tough for them to pull off stopping that move. I mean, that's the same amount of teams last year. Yeah. But actually, one more playoff team this year has LeBron James than last year. And what a surprise. He's in the NBA Finals. Um, But anyway, so yeah, the Heat, I would not say they did all that they could. I think that this game was closer than it should have been because LeBron had five turnovers in the first quarter. And the Lakers kept throwing the ball away for no real reason. The Heat just couldn't capitalize, and they made a ton of mistakes in their own. As good as the, as well as the Heat executed in Game Three, and as badly as Lakers executed in Game Four, Lakers defense was better, was so much better in Game Four, and the Heat defense just could not do anything. Their passing was kind of off. Obviously, Bam was healthy, but at the same time, he seemed like he wasn't all the way back. He was a little afraid of him, but. We also saw Jimmy Butler really not perform. And, yeah. Oh, what yeah, do you think about that? Yeah, after, the, like, the historic Game 3, he, you know, took the took the challenge, and LeBron said, all right, I'm going to take the challenge too. And he just basically shut him down after, you know, a absolutely blazing hot Game 3. Yeah. We mentioned, we mentioned that the Lakers weren't slipping the screens. Uh, slipping the screen basically means you get screened, and... Uh, you go underneath it or go right past it. The issue is, is that it leaves a shooter open for a little bit. But what happened is that the Lakers decided, okay, we're going to play really, really, really close to the guy who we're guarding. And also whenever someone like Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson or Bam Adebayo goes to set a screen for Jimmy Butler, we're going to just come as close as possible. Or if they're going to do this fancy schmancy thing with their dribble handoffs where they try to... Uh, basically get a guy about a foot space they just don't care and they just get as close as possible and outside of jimmy butler who they sort of dared to shoot three-pointers and he refused to until like very late at one point in the game at which point did you see do you remember that do you remember what happened when it was like 90 88 and jimmy butler shot that three that would have put them up by one LeBron is on Jimmy Butler. It's a close game it's near the end of the fourth quarter jimmy butler has the ball he's near the right corner and so he dribbles in, and then he's sort of got this amount of space, and then he just dribbles backwards and pulls up. Jimmy, oh, that's Butler, right. yeah, that's yeah. a classic Tate. That's a classic Tatum move. What the what the hell is going on there? Turn an easy shot into a hard shot. Yeah, the late the Heat all game were it seemed afraid, like they drove, and yet they still passed out. And then guys like Alex Caruso, guys like LeBron and Anthony Davis, or KCP were just it. Rondo were just in the way, knocking the balls away, and. That's why the Heat had as many turnovers as the Lakers, uh, which is not good because the Heat were the best at forcing turnovers all season and forced a decent amount, and Lakers gave up a decent amount, but it still didn't help because the Heat couldn't do anything. Anthony Davis, four huge blocks, four massive blocks, and he might have had like 10 blocks if the Heat had tried to score on every drive that they went to the basket on. But also, come on. Get into his body. Try to make him foul you, even if he's probably going to block the ball because he's way taller than anybody on the court that you have. Try a little something. Try a little something. I, I don't know. I don't think the, I don't think the refs would like give. I think they would see through that. And yeah, there was there was some uneven refing. There's been some uneven refing all series. I could instead of like the case where like both teams, oh shut up, it's not really an issue. Actually, for both teams, I can see why you might think that the refs really suck this series. Because the refs have kind of screwed both teams over, and it's the Lakers are winning because they're the better team. But I don't know why anyone would be happy with the refs at this point. But I don't know. Um, game four obviously was great. 
were talking about like it was a sloppy turnover fest, which it wasn't really. It they kind of was though. Each team had 15 turnovers, but we also had some crazy shots. Tyler Hero, listen, we've said it the whole entire time. The kid is confident as hell. Has balls of steel. Yes. Sometimes that causes him to take the dumbest shots that you and I have ever seen. Sometimes it causes him to take the dumbest shots that you and I have ever seen and somehow make them. There were at least two or three just high, not even arcing, but just where the the it goes up and up and up and up and up, and somehow it ends up in the rim or bouncing off the backboard and in, which made no sense. But at the very least, I'm excited to see what Tyler Hero does when he can refine his game a little bit, but maybe he also won't. So he'll be like a much more confident J.R. Smith. <laughs> a much more confident J.R. Smith. Oh, that's computer error there, Chief. I said confident. Oh, I thought you said confident. <laughs> no, his confidence is already at J.R. levels. So I just want to say maybe a more competent, which would kind of be amazing to see. And is that's the classic guy that would be a Jimmy Butler teammate. I don't know. Um... Yeah, so that's I, I. Sam, have you got anything else you want before we go on this one? Because we just got a little bit on this. Yeah, I just don't see the Heat winning another game. Yeah, this is it. Feels exactly like the Nuggets series, where the Nuggets won the third game against the Lakers and then like tried and failed to win the fourth one, and then by game five, like yeah, it's over. They're 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 just gonna kind of blow it up. I don't want to see this Heat team do that. I think they're better than that. But once Goron went down, I don't know. It's interesting to see, like, how much injuries have affected so many of the finals that we've been in. When was the the last time that a player that, let's see. So 2019, obviously, KD and Clay, well, KD mostly, but also Clay not being there was a big impact on the series. Two years ago, I don't think it mattered because that Cavs team sort of had no business being there. So I don't think anyone cared. Um, The year before that, was that Cavs team fully healthy? That was when they still had Kyrie. Yeah. Once again, it was a five-game series that nobody really yeah. saw. But the year before, that's when Draymond Green misses game five. The year before that, both Kyrie and Kevin Love are missing. And I really wonder what the best offense in the league that year, which actually was the Cavs and not the the Warriors, I think, would have done in that series. Uh, twenty, Yeah. Maybe you have to go back to 2014 when you think it should have been a close series. 2013, obviously, was an amazing series. No one was really injured in that. But um, that's going to do it for this extra addition to the StatCast podcast. But once again, we will talk to you guys next week where we will have much more baseball, we hope, and maybe a little finals closeout, which, again, the finals closeout is probably happening tomorrow night, so maybe less exciting. Yeah, we will talk to you guys next week. 